What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing good today. The MMA Ratings Podcast is back, and this is episode 126. I am Rafael Garcia, alongside my co-host, Swan Hughes. How are you doing there, sir? Oh, you know me, busy as always. Not not doing too bad, though. How are the girls? Uh, busy. The two of them are working, and then they're playing summer basketball, so it's been a hectic summer already. I bet it has been, man. I bet you got any big plans, any big travel plans? I think we're, we might go on a vacation, like, towards the end of the summer. We got to go to a big tournament in Dallas and I think another one where they're going to have kids from coming from out of state to play, so that'll be pretty tough. That's going to be the next two or three weeks. And after that, yeah. I think we're done. Okay, that sounds cool. That sounds pretty cool, man. But um, we got some interesting news that happened today and quite a bit of different things to cover. We also got some fight previews for this weekend. But you mentioned um, – well, first, before we do that, let's, as always, thank everybody for taking the time to listen to our content. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to us here on YouTube. You can follow us at MMARainsNet on Instagram and Twitter. You catch all our social media stuff there. I got to do better with the, on the Instagram handle, but, you know, you guys bear with me there. But we have um, 101 subscribers now. We kind of build that up. Let's, let's push that up to 150. So please be sure to subscribe to this channel, share it on your social media outlets and let everybody know that this is where you are getting your content and also as always go to mmaratings.net where you can check out work by myself swan hume uh adam uh, martin does content for us and my support as well and you can always rate the fights you can tell us exactly what you think and rate them on our 10 star system so let's go ahead and jump into our news stories for this week and the first one i wanted to talk about was Devin green did you see the news that came out about him being in jail today uh, I, I heard about it. I didn't get a chance to really read to death and I had heard the story, you know, all the things leading up to it. I hadn't really heard a lot recently. So if you're unaware, Desmond Green was a, was a prospect in the UFC. He's a, is he lightweight or flyweight? I want to say he was lightweight. Or featherweight, excuse me. I believe, I believe he's a featherweight. Um, so he is a hot prospect there. You know, I'm always big on prospects of African-American descent that continue to do well in the UFC. He was one of those guys who just fought um, a couple months ago when they were in Rochester. And he had, um, you know, he, he was pretty good on that card. Uh, he won a pretty close fight there. But we are talking about him in a negative sense because today he's being held on bond in Florida. And his bond is $194,000. And the reason why is this is in reference to a deadly car crash from 2018 where Two people were killed. One lady was 67, and I believe her 74-year-old husband. Two people were killed, and multiple others were injured. This was supposed to be like a horrific scene where people were injured all over the place. There was cars all over the place because he went across the um, went across the across the highway. And come to find out, he was in possession of cocaine and weed, and driving without a license. Now this um, this brings a mandatory minimum of four years in jail in Florida. So this was pretty bad. I saw this thing and I was like, what the hell? Um, his MMA's career is over pretty much. Uh, and what do you think, Sean? Does Sean keep picked uh, up? I'd have to agree. I mean, oh, no. I, don't know how the UFC could, I don't know how the UFC could touch him after this. And, and I, I just don't know. I mean, they can't take that public relations hit. And the timeout is just going to ruin him. And I don't know what other smaller promotion would touch him either. 
I mean, that's a that's a very serious charge. It's a very bad look for anybody who's connected to him. I mean, you can't explain that away. You can't spin that. There, there's just no way to get around what what he did and the problems it caused. Yeah, it was definitely um definitely a mess, and it's almost it's like yeah, you're right. No one can touch him after this. Yeah, he's still young, but no promotion is really going to pick him up after this. And it's interesting because you've seen situations like this in major sports across um, the gamut. You know, NFL players have killed people in car accidents. We've seen this before, and they've come back to play. But I think the situation is a little different here where the, I, don't, I don't believe the UFC brings them back in any way, shape, or form. Do you think they would face a lot of public backlash if they did slide him in on a, on a show? Let's say he gets two years or whatever, goes away and comes back. Do you think that, that they would get a lot of public backlash if they brought him back? Well, on one instance, you know, I mean, we've we've heard of athletes and people doing some pretty horrific things and being able to reestablish their careers. And the UFC has bent the rules for guys who move the needle or guys who are exceptionally talented. I don't know that Green fits in any one of those categories. He's not a needle mover. He's not. He wasn't seen as a transcendent talent. So I don't know what the what the reasoning would be behind the UFC giving him a chance when there's so many other fighters who don't have issues. That they could sign him. Mean, his weight class. If he was a heavyweight, we'd have a discussion. But he's a he's a featherweight slash lightweight. Those divisions are full of people who don't have any of the drama or, or negativity associated with them. So why do I make an exception for for Green? He's not a he's not a big star. He's not a transcendent talent. So what, what's my reasoning? Why am I doing him a favor? Yeah, it's definitely it's, it's interesting because I don't think he'll come back into the um, UFC at all or basically MMA at any level. And it's and this has been a, a intriguing week for fighters being caught in negative publicity. Because did you see what happened with BJ Penn? I didn't include this on the agenda this week, but he was um, filmed. TMZ released a video this week of him fighting a bouncer outside of a club in Hawaii, and he's basically on top of the bouncer, uh, hit striking him. The people are talking to him. No, it's interesting. People are talking to him telling him that the cops are on the way, that he needs to stop, but no one's actually trying to pull him off. When one of the bouncer's friends starts to step in and try to pull him off, BJ's pins get, BJ Penn's friends get mad and try to step in then, um, which was kind of pathetic. But did you see this video clip? Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing, actually. Um, when they say the mighty have fallen, this is a pretty bad example of it. Um, former world t- world champion, one time considered one of the top three pound for pound fighters, actually one of the biggest stars in UFC history, and now he's fighting with bouncers. And um, the weird thing about it is this isn't even rare. I could have sworn there was an article written years ago where like somebody was interviewing BJ and he was talking about how he was getting in street fights or something with people, and that was when he was closer to his peak in his career. So this doesn't really shock me. It's just it's just really depressing. It makes you wonder if something's actually wrong with him or if he's just out of control. As- as far as his personality, or if there's actually like a mental issue for someone of his stature to be involved in these kind of things. Like, has he taken too many beatings? Is, is there something off about him now? Or is he just a guy who's out of control? I mean, I just think, uh, I don't want to use this. I almost use the term lost cause. I definitely think he's um, out of control at, at this point. The UFC needs need to cut their ties. They should have cut their ties after the restraining order information came out from his wife. They should have cut the ties there, but they did not. They let him fight again. He's on a seven-fight losing streak. There's no reason why they need to keep this man around. It's almost as if this is, like, all he has left for his, um, like, personal existence, and I hate to say that, 
but they need to find a way to cut ties with him, but also uh, keep his well-being in mind. I mean, they weren't doing him any favors. As much as the UFC can say, well, we're just giving him another chance. We owe BJ that. It's not that, is it? BJ's still a guy who who has fans. He's a guy who still gets support from fans. So anytime they're putting him on, whether he's on a three-fight losing streak or a two-fight losing streak or a seven-fight losing streak, it's because people will tune in to see what happens. There's people who believe in him, who want to see if he, if he get the magic back. There's people who just want to see him put in a good performance. There's people who want to see him lose. There's people who want to see him win. BJ still draws eyes. Maybe not as many as he used to, but he still draws eyes. So the UFC wasn't doing anything. They were trying to help out there at earlier stages, main cards, um, top billing. Then it was on the prelim. Anything get or to draw more attention. So I don't think the UFC was helping them out or being kind to him or showing him any love or anything. I think they were just doing what they needed to do to help themselves out. But he said this might be all he has, and if it is, that's that that should be a wake up call to anybody who takes on combat sports because. BJ, one of one of the first black belts, quickest black belts, world champion. Like, how do you get to this point? I mean, should this be? A, I mean, else? Maybe he was twenty. I'd understand this, but he's like what thirty, forty? I mean, this should be above his. This is above his age group, age range. This is above his station, his life, as far as a father and a and a husband. You shouldn't just be involved in this kind of stuff. So, like I said, either there's a men issue from all the fights or he's really out of control and nobody in his camp is willing to put their foot down and enough dude you got to get your life straight you got to get your priorities in order something like this and look where he's at and a lot of y'all don't have half the talent or half the fame that he has At least that's my take on it. So, uh, just for all these young fighters, just just think about it. Think long and hard before you get in one war too many. Before you put off college or a career or whatever else you have, in the hopes of being a, becoming a mixed martial arts star, because they do not pay you enough money. It's life changing money. And even if you are, think about how many boxers and how many baseball players and basketball players have had life changing money, and they're in no better situation than BJ Penn. It's not the money, it's not the fame, it's what you do with your life and it's how, how self-aware you are and how self-disciplined you are. If you don't have discipline, if you don't have awareness and you don't have something that's kind of keeping you grounded, it is very likely your life will careen out of control, much like much like BJ Penn, much like any other athlete in the world who's who was at the peak and somehow found themselves at the bottom after year, years after making hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, being a worldwide star, and now reduced to fighting with bouncers and, and domestic abuse claims and, and all sorts of stuff that just is beneath a person of that stature. So yeah, it's definitely a pretty sad fall for him. I don't want to kind of pile on there, but yeah, it's definitely a pretty sad fall for him. 
Let's move on to some um, less upsetting news, I guess, and maybe some people will say more uh, exciting news because it looks like Kobe Covington is coming back to the Octagon finally after more than a year away as he is facing off against former champion Robbie Lawler at UFC Newark on August uh, 8th. The fight was announced today. What are some of your thoughts about this bout here when you first heard everything? Do you think that this fight A actually happens? And who do you think comes out from an early analysis between these two? Well, I kind of think the fight has to happen. Covington's been sitting on the sidelines, not fighting anybody. And while he's not been fighting anybody, people have been putting in career-changing performances that have kind of separated them from the pack and put them in a position where he's no longer considered the clear the clear challenger to the title. You know, I'm, I feel like if he sits out any further, he's just going to fall further and further behind. I mean, right now, Anthony Pettis is hotter than Colby Covington. And he did all that work building up that persona and winning those fights. And pretty much all of it was for nothing because he didn't get a legitimate title shot. And then he sat out waiting for a title shot that, in my opinion, he had a somewhat of an argument if it was Woodley. But against Usman, he doesn't have any real history. He doesn't have any real heat that would generate any sort of interest past a certain point against Usman. So he, I don't want to say he, he basically outsmarted himself. He thought he was a lock. He thought he had done the work. And uh, he overestimated his value just like he did when he had the interim chat title. And he, he pretty much, like DJ Khaled said, he played himself and played himself out of a title shot. And now he's going to have to earn it. He's going to have to do something spectacular to put himself in a position for a title shot. And unfortunately, uh, his style of wrestling and his style of fight pretty much guarantees Robbie Lawler is going to have a really good shot at winning this fight and putting himself back into title contendership. Do you think either one of them come out as a number one contender if they pick up a win? Number one contender, um, even if Covington wins, if he wins by decision, no, he'd have to finish. And even if Robbie Lawler beats Covington, I can't see him. He He's lost, what, I want to say one or two in a row in welterweight. I mean, it would get him back where people would say, oh, Robbie's back, and they start considering him as, as a contender, and they could move up in another fighter he'd have to get win at least two at least two fights another two fights to be legitimately considered a um a title contender he wouldn't be anywhere near a number one slot at my, at my at this stage he has to be at least two other guys to even be in the realm of a actual title shot legitimately but once again this is sports entertainment so we never know what they're gonna pull um it's a good fight for him though is covington's a wrestler but covington's not a super athletic wrestler he's more of a grindy kind of grind you down and force the pace and get physical with you and he's not a guy who gets quick, quick blows through you with a double leg or can throw you all around and, and, and really control you. Lawler's one of the bigger, stronger guys in the division. And Colby Covington's got really bad defense, and he likes to push a pace and throw volume. So there's a good chance that Lawler's going to be able to keep the fight where he wants it and um, beat up Covington to a decision or possibly stop him. I don't think Covington gets through those shots that he landed on Ben Askren. So this is a really tough fight for Covington, a very – a fight that's – very, that's one he could lose and uh, cost him all the momentum he's made up in the past two and a half years. Go from interim title to sitting out on the sidelines to not getting a title shot to getting knocked out of the top 10. It could all happen very quickly in the next in, in the next few months. And looking at these two, um, which one do you think has a better opportunity or better, I guess, long-term value of becoming a, a champion in the UFC? Does Robbie get back to that slot? Or does Covington find a way through 
maybe picking up a win here or um and, or someone sliding falling out of a contendership position. You'd have to say Covington just because he's younger and fresher. I mean, Lawler's still probably the overall better athlete. He's a better striker. He's probably the actually better overall mixed martial artist as far as knowing his skill set and being able to apply it in the mixed martial arts uh, context. But Covington's younger. Covington's been in less wars. Covington's fresher. And at this stage, he's he's willing to sell himself more. He's willing to play to the fans and play and and play to the casual play to the casuals who watch mixed martial arts. Raleigh Lawler just comes there to fight. He's not going to say much. He's not going to do much. He's going to walk. He's going to walk in, fight, walk out. That's it. He, he's not going to do. He's not going to do much else. He's not a guy who sells himself. Luckily, his fighting style sells him, and he's got a lot of other people and other in the history of fights that sell him. So, if you're looking for long term potential, I have to go with Covington. Even though I don't think Covington's a great athlete, I don't think he's a great striker. I don't even think he's a great wrestler. He's a very smart fighter. He's very disciplined, and he, he has a smart strategy that's been able to guide him along the. Uh, In the, I think he can be. Con- All right, so you're breaking up a little bit there, Swan. Can you? Robbie Lawler at the age he's at, it's just a matter of time. I, I said at his age, it's a matter of time before Robbie Lawler begins to truly fall off. So, cool. um, I think long term, Colby Covington's got the biggest bang for his buck. In the next year to maybe two, Lawler still might be the better option. But it, in the next two to five years, it'll be it'll be Covington. He's just he's just a younger fighter, and he's got less less miles on him. So let's um, let's move on from there, and let's look at the uh, let's look at the fight previews for UFC Minneapolis this week. The big main event is a heavyweight bout between Junior dos Santos and Francis Ngannou. I think the main event should be. Being a video uh, versus Formiga, because either one of these guys are a true number one contender at flyweight. But the heavyweight's got to go first. I've got to go at the top of the docket. So, Ngannou versus Dos Santos, what do you see here between these two men? Well, first of all, it's it's very hard to make a main event for a division that might not exist six months from now. So, it's really hard to leave with that one. Um, as far as the matchup, it really comes down to how fresh DeSantis is as far as his ideas and his physicality and his durability. The biggest people always thought of DeSantis as this great boxer, this great striker. What he really is was an athlete who had a great two to three tools and he was able to use them against most MMA fighters because they lacked the skills to take them away. He had a pretty good jab, a pretty good right hand. He could get in and out very well. He didn't respond to pressure very well. He wasn't particularly great in exchanges defensively. And anytime you pushed him back, his defense and his offense kind of fell apart. He, he's just a fairly limited fighter in his striking. He can do a little bit of everything, but nothing spectacularly outside of the punching. And the punching isn't really refined. The question against somebody with Ngannou is Ngannou is almost a pure counterfighter. He might pressure you to make you throw something so he can counter it, but Ngannou's shown a very limited ability to lead. Anytime he's had to lead, he seems to run out of ideas. And when you're coming at him and he's allowed to counter, he just blasts people out. But the longer a guy can last, the less dynamic he looks, the less clever he looks, the less technical he looks. So the question is, does DeSantos have the skill set to keep away from him and force Ngannou to lead where he can pick him apart? He can pick him apart. He can move in and out. He can control him with a jab. He can control him with feints. 
beat him up, kind of wear him out, get him tired, and then take over as it comes in late? Or is Ngannou going to put DeSantis in a position where DeSantis is going to feel like he has to be over-aggressive, looking for a knockout, looking to take control of the fight, which is going to give Ngannou every opening he needs to land the shots he needs to to stop DeSantis? At this stage, Ngannou is the fresher fighter. He's more durable. I mean, we haven't, we've seen him mentally kind of check out, but we've never seen him really get knocked out. We've seen him get take punishment for five rounds from Stipe. He's taken a couple shots from Derek Lewis. He's taken shots from Kane Velasquez. He's taken shots from guys who can hit, and he's been able, his chin has been able to hold up. DeSantos' durability isn't there anymore, which means those defensive errors he makes as far as his footwork and his head movement, they have an even higher price to pay nowadays. So I'm going to say that DeSantis is going to have his moments, but I think the fact of the matter is he's coming to put something on Ngannou. I think Ngannou's kind of challenged him a little bit, and DeSantis is going to come out there looking for the knockout. And when he comes looking for it, he's going to get countered big. And unlike Derek Lewis, who will kind of gas or isn't always as good a finisher when he can't finish with that one shot or that second shot, I think Ngannou can put enough shots together to put DeSantis out. If DeSantos comes and uses a little bit more of a wrestling game, I think he can drain him and exhaust him and then stick a jab in his face and move around a little bit. But DeSantos hasn't shown that kind of poise or that kind of discipline against a fighter who's A, a knockout fighter, and B, a fighter who's a comparable athlete. Against comparable athletes, he tends to get a little panicky, he tends to get a little overaggressive, and he puts himself in the line of fire. And against Ngannou, I just don't think that works. I think he has to fight a very disciplined fight, and I don't know that he can fight it against a guy with Ngannou's style or Ngannou's athleticism. So you're picking Ngannou to win this fight. I'm actually pretty impressed by that. I thought that Dos Anjos was able to do more from a technical standpoint to wear Francis down over, you know, three to five rounds. I, I think he can, but the, but the thing is, every time he's been disciplined and technical, it's been against guys he's much faster than, guys he hits much harder than, guys he's He's much more mobile than Iganov. Uh, who else did he fight? Ben Rothwell. Um, he fought Derek Lewis. And even Derek Lewis had moments against him. Everybody's had moments against DeSantos. As much as he moves and as much as he jabs, he's really not a hard guy to hit. You might not get him the way you want to, but he's not a hard guy to hit. And if you're not a hard guy to hit and you're facing a guy who's very fast, very explosive, and hits very hard, that's just not a very good recipe. I mean, like I said, he could win the fight if he's very disciplined, sticks to his jab, faints, and moves around. But the question is, the minute he smells blood, is he going to be able to restrain himself, or is he going to go all out trying to get the finish and give Ngannou the opportunities, the openings that he needs to land? You have a guy who is an aggressive counterpuncher and a guy who's an aggressive offensive fighter who's got bad defense and whose chin hasn't been, hasn't been dependable for the past, what, three, five years? That's really not a good combination. He's perfectly capable of winning that fight, I just don't know if he has the discipline or the poise to do it. He hasn't shown that in his last three, and and I really haven't seen him show it, and and since the Rothwell fight. Good thoughts there, sir. Good thoughts. Let's move on to that co-main event, though. I think that this Joseph Benavidez fight with Formiga is the most important fight on the card because you have two men that have both faced off with the uh, current flyweight champion, which is Henry Cejudo, and it's interesting. Because Benavidez has a win over Cejudo. Formiga lost to him uh, via, I think it may have been decision. And Benavidez won via split decision. And now you have a champion in Cejudo who's talking about, who just won the bantamweight belt. 
who's talking about fighting Uriah Faber, Dominic Cruz, and Cody Garbrandt, two or three men who are coming off of a loss. One of those guys is coming out of retirement, and another one should be retired pretty much. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And then he's talking about going up to 145 and facing the, the champion there. And this is complete foolishness to me because he got a title shot after losing to Demetrius Johnson by knockout in the second round. And here it is. He's almost, I want to throw it out there. I'm not going to say afraid, but he's hesitant to fight Benavidez because A, either that fight won't draw money or B, he's concerned about losing another post split decision or a combination of the two. This fight right here really needs to be, they need to strip him of that um, flyweight title and make this fight uh, for the, for that belt, or at least for that vacant title, um, or an interim title, excuse me, just because these two guys have carved out this uh, this this division. Benavidez has been a contender at 135. He's fought for the belt there, fought for the flyweight belt twice. This is probably maybe his last shot at getting a title opportunity. So there's almost no reason why this fight shouldn't be the main event, in my opinion, other than the fact that it probably wouldn't draw as much money as, as these heavyweights, and there needs to be a number one contender coming out of, of this fight. What are your thoughts there, Sean? Uh, just one question. Isn't didn't isn't Cejudo going to be out because he's having, like, sh- so- shoulder surgery or something? I forgot about that. That's just another reason why that belt needs to be taken off of him and uh, it needs to be held up by this fight here. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Cejudo is now that he's he's really just looking for guy, fights that are – not just athletic competitions, but fights that are going to separate separate him and build his brand. Beating TJ was a big thing because TJ was almost considered the best bantamweight in history outside of maybe Dominic Cruz. TJ was that. If he beats Dominic Cruz, then he's beat the two best bantamweights in the history. If he beats if he beats Uri Faber, he's beaten one of the three best bantamweights and one of the you say probably ten best featherweights in the world. He's doing things to get accolades. It's like when you beat a a boxer beats a former world champion. You know, a three-time former world champion. Yeah, he's he's declining, but you, you you can still put that on my resume. I beat a former three-time champion, and he's trying to put things on his resume that are going to help expand his brand and help him get known to the the, the masses. Cody Garbrandt would do that, even coming off losses, because he's popular and well known. Uriah Faber, even though he retired, would help him do that because he's popular and well known. Dominic Cruz would help him do that because he's popular and well known. And those fights are manageable risks. There's very little risk, but they're manageable. Against Benavidez, you have a fight that isn't quite as manageable from a technical or physical perspective, and it's a fight that doesn't really do anything as far as building your brand. Yeah, it makes you more legitimate, but it's not a big fight. It's not a sexy fight. It's a big fight to cat to hardcores, but hardcores are going to watch Henry fight anyways. He's a double champ. He needs he wants a fight that's going to make an impression and help separate him further in the public image, not so much in the mixed martial arts community. Beating TJ and beating Mighty Mouse and beating Marlon did that, but he wants something that's going to separate him in the public. That means beating name, beating name guys. Um, this fight is actually, like you said, it's the most important fight. Some could say you can make it for an interim title just because Henry's not going to be able to defend for a while. So I would assume that if Henry's out, whoever wins this fight might have to fight one more fight and get an interim title shot, and then Henry will either get stripped or... or stripped and the interim champion will become the new champion or the interim champion and Henry will fight to be the true flyweight champion. Um, as far as this fight, it, it's really going to come down to can Formier, can he, can he out grapple Benavidez? That, that's really what it comes down to. 
Um, if you can outgrapple Benavidez to a degree in spots, out wrestle him, control him, get some ground and pound going, or threaten him with submissions, then you can beat him. But if you can't control him to some degree, or you can't consistently take him down, then Benavidez gets the fight he wants. He beats you up in the clinch. He takes you down. He forces a, a high pace, and he times his counter punches and basically picks you apart and works you over to a decision win. Sometimes lopsided, sometimes close. If Juicy A can't make his wrestling enough of a threat or his grappling enough of a threat, he's just not going to beat Benavidez. He's got a good counterpunching skills, but Benavidez, his chin still seems to be there. And I think Juicy A is a little bit of a, uh, a predictable striker. I think he's kind of a predictable striker, and I don't think he's durable enough to punch with Benavidez or to get in exchanges with him. If they get into exchanges, I fully expect Benavidez to take over. And I and once again, if he can't really make his wrestling a threat, I don't see how he beats him. He has to be able to attack him on all three levels. At this stage, it looks like Benavidez will be able to strike with him, wrestle with him, and grapple with him, which means Juicy A is going to have to fight and defend himself on all three levels. If he can't really wrestle Benavidez, he can't bring the grappling into, into play. And I don't really think he's a refined enough or creative enough striker to really outstrike Benavidez. The only thing working in Formiga's favor is that Benavidez isn't as durable as he used to be. He's not as explosive as he used to be. And I don't think he recovers quite as well as he used to be. But once again, Juicy is not a knockout guy and he's not a creative striker. Um, I expect it to be a high-paced fight. But um, halfway through the fight, I think that Benavidez's pace and his physicality is going to start wearing on Juicy A, and that's when you're going to see the separation. Even if he gets takedowns early, I fully expect uh, Benavidez to scramble, force that pace, get back on the feet, rough him up, get get in top position, rough him up, and just push him to to the point to he gets desperate with his takedowns, starts getting picked apart on the feet, and possibly stops. Like I said, it's really a matter of can he take him down and can he control him. If he can't do those things, he's not going to beat Benavidez. I don't think he's a good enough athlete. Um, I don't think he's durable enough. I don't think he's a creative enough striker, unless Benavides has really fallen off, which I don't think he has. He's only lost like to like what two people in division in in a five year period, five or seven year period. That's that's pretty impressive. Good thoughts there, sir. Very good thoughts. Let's move on to another fight on this card where we have Damian Maya facing Tony Martin. Now, how far on the slide is Damian, Mar uh, Damian Maya? I know he has a goal of winning. Um, I want to say it's being the winningest fighter in UFC history. Um, let me see. He has 26 wins. 26 and 9, man. He's a, he has a stellar record, even though you know we kind of forget about it. Only lost because some, cause some of the losses that he uh, and, and Kobe Covington. Uh, but he just some of the fights that he he goes through, some of the losses that he's had. But he's fighting Tony Martin on Saturday. And do you think that Tony Martin is able to put him away and take advantage of him being on such a, a decline? It's really hard to tell. It's it's really hard to say because Damian Maya is so good at dragging people into his fight because he's able to pressure guys and he his positioning, his positioning and his footwork is able to protect him from getting strikes. It puts him in position to get those clean entries and to get those reactive takedowns. And he's good enough striking as far as closing distance and maintain, um, throwing out lead strikes that if you're going to exclusively focus on defending his takedowns, Damian's got enough he's got enough versatility and enough confidence where he can he can do some work on the feet. He landed against Usman. He landed against Covington. 
The only thing is, being at an older age, he can't keep a pace and he can't build on one. So I think in this fight, the, the big question is, is he going to be able to get takedowns early? If he can get clean takedowns early in a in, in secure position, I think he'll submit Tony Martin. The problem is, Damien's not an explosive takedown guy. He's not a quick double leg guy. He's not a slick um, ankle pick or single leg guy. He's not great with dynamic throws. He's more of a drag you to the ground, body lock, trip you, or you throw him down and he pulls you down with him. That's the kind of guy he is. And those things take a lot of energy because you got to constantly drive. You got to constantly chain. You got to constantly look to off balance and offset your opponent. That takes a lot of energy at an older age. That's why a lot of wrestlers stop wrestling in their fights. They don't have the energy to maintain those positions and energy to continually shoot and clinch and grind and pull and push. And in his last couple of fights, that's what we've seen from Damien. He's extended himself, trying to get takedowns, exhausted himself, asserting himself on the feet. And then little by little, the fight gets taken over. His defense falls apart. He gets taken down. He gets beat up. And he doesn't have the energy to search for a submission or to get to a better position. And um, I'm thinking Tony Martin's on an upswing. I think he's getting Maya at the right time. And I think he pulls the upset and beats Maya. Now, I'm pretty interested in, in you saying that because I want to talk about two different things here. First, let's talk about Tony Martin because he is someone that kind of flies under the radar on the UFC roster. Let me pull up his record right now. He's 18, 16, and 4 as a professional fighter, and he's on a four-strike win streak in the UFC. Overall, he's been with the UFC since 2014, and he is one, two, three, four, uh, seven, and four in the organization overall. What do you think his upper echelon is? Are we looking at his ceiling right now, or is he someone that can break through beyond what we've seen, especially as he rises four or five win streaks? I think the biggest thing is you have to see what he does against a world-class guy. And even though Damien's vulnerable, he's still world-class. As we said, he hasn't lost anybody who's not a certain caliber fighter in the past couple of years. Covington is still a certain caliber. Woodley's a certain caliber. Um, Usman's a certain caliber. And even when his losses, he's, he's had moments against them. Um, I think Tony Martin is perfectly capable of getting into the top 12, top 10. After that, I'm not too sure where he goes just because – I don't know that he's a standout athlete, and I don't know that I've seen him being standout in regards to his wrestling, his grappling, or his striking. And I know everybody's talking about you have to be balanced in mixed martial arts, but the fact of the matter is the best fighters in the world have an area where they excel in, an area they can dominate in. I'm not quite sure where he dominates against the upper echelon of fighters. Like, Damian dominates in grappling. Guys don't even want to see him on that level. Robbie Lawler. Dominates in striking. Guys don't really want to see him. They're forced to. Ben Askren dominates in wrestling. Guys don't want to see him. That They're kind of forced to. I don't know that Tony Martin has that elite or upper echelon striking, grappling, or wrestling. I do know that he puts it together very well. He fights fairly disciplined, and he has a good sense of self of what he can and can't do. And I think that versatility is going to be enough to, to keep Maya out of the spots he wants to get in or the spots he needs to get in. But I don't know if it's enough against let's say a Robbie Lawler. I don't know if it's enough against a, uh, even a wonder boy, Stephen Thompson. I'm not quite sure that he, he has, he's shown enough that he can hang. That he, I know he can hang with those guys. I don't know that he can beat those guys, but um, right now I say his ceiling is looking like a probably top 10 fighter. You match him right. And you bring him on 
you bring him on, you don't push him, you don't rush him, you allow him time to develop between these fights and take necessary technical steps forward. I'm saying top ten, top seven right now. I don't know that he ever breaks in the top five. I have my concerns about that, especially in regards to his athleticism. It's interesting. We're talking about pushing fighters to a certain level, pushing them, you know, too quickly. Uh, did you see the news today that Darren Till, uh, Dana White, admitted that he may have pushed Darren Till a little bit too soon? Yeah, it only took him uh, years to figure that. I mean, I picked Darren. I'm not gonna lie. I picked Darren Till to beat Tyron Woodley because I was under the impression that Darren Till's camp was fairly intelligent and that he really understood what Woodley was doing and he knew how to approach him appropriately. But either because of the weight or because Darren Till just isn't a very smart fighter or his camp is just irresponsible, he showed a lack of awareness. He showed a lack of a game plan. He showed a lack of defensive skills and offensive discipline, and he got killed by Woodley. And then he goes in against Jorge Masvidal, and he gets killed by him. And it's one of the things that we talk about often on the show when talking about prospects. You move them along slowly. I don't care if they can talk. I don't care if they have a look. I don't care if they have a style. You move them along carefully so that when they get in a certain spot, they know how to work their way out. So they address certain holes they have. So they address certain technical issues or strategic issues they have. Nobody addressed Darren Till's defense. It was awful when he came in the UFC. It's been awful since. As long as he is, nobody's taught him how to fight with any length. He, he doesn't use an active long jab. He doesn't consistently use active long strikes to control distance or to push guys back. He doesn't have layer defense. He doesn't really have a first layer defense. His layer of defense is he can take punishment and he can fire right back. That's never a recipe for success. That's going to shorten your career. He's depending on his chin. And again, it's the two biggest hitters he's faced. It got him laid one time, knocked out cold. The other time he got him dropped and then submitted. So um, the UFC just saw him. He, he sold the fight. He beat Thompson unimpressively at that. And they just saw a guy who's good looking, who could talk, and they decided, let's give him a shot. And as a fighter, I understand he wants a title shot, but as a management team, you can't let that happen. If his coaches, I can understand why I see things differently. It's okay for me because I'm looking from the outside in and I'm trying to figure things out. But his coaches know where his skill set's at. His coaches know where his IQ's at. And they can't afford to make the mistake of being overconfident about his skill set or his mentality or his professionalism. And that's what they did. So you have a guy who is, could have been a potential long-standing top 10 fighter who might now never, who can, who can barely stay in the top 15 and might fall out of the UFC in the near future. Um, like I said, you pay these camps for a reason. You don't pay them just to train you. You don't pay any management just to get you sponsors. You pay them to be adults in the room and make the decisions that you can't, that your ego and your bravado won't allow you to make. Somebody should have said, hey, this guy needs to take a step back. And even though I picked him to beat Woodley, if I would have had a choice, I would not have had him fight for the title that soon. I would have said, take a step back. Let's see if we can get the weight in control. Let's fight some lesser fighters. Let's build up some experience. They chose to go another route, and they played a game with his career, and right now he's losing, and losing very badly. Interesting thoughts there, man. Very interesting breakdown when talking about that. I saw that right before we went on uh, today, and I wanted to kind of bring that out. Uh, another, thing, it, go ahead. This happens a lot. I don't work with a ton of ton of fighters, but like I said last week, I was telling you about a fighter whose coach was telling him not to take a jab because he's tough enough and force a pace. That's the stuff that shortens your career. If you got a chin, you don't need to, to prove it every time. If you can strike, we don't need to see it every time. If you can bang, we don't need to see that every time. You're supposed to come better, more disciplined, more defensively aware 
every fight out so that you can make so not that you can just get to a world-class level so that you can maintain it for an extended period of time donald cerrone has been in some wars but he's also developed his skills so he's been world-class for what 10 12 years almost that's what you want to go for where you have a chance to be in the mix almost the entirety of your world-class elite level skill set in, t- in time in the combat sport these guys are like fly are like a uh, falling stars they shine real bright and then they never quite recover his camp will find another fighter they will find another prospect he only has one career and he might have already derailed it by being pushed too fast and not developed appropriately and i can admit i was wrong in saying that he would beat woodley his camp needs to admit that they were wrong and how they handled him how they trained him and how they developed him they didn't do a good enough job and he's going to suffer for that sorry to interrupt you no, 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 you're all good. You're all good. That's some interesting thoughts there. Let's, there's a couple other fights I wanted to talk about on this card where we have Roberts versus um, Hisho. I, I can't think that name is uh, correct. These two guys are like two prospects that the UFC has their eye on. What do you think about this fight there as well? I think it's a good fight. I mean, I like to see the UFC giving guys a chance and bringing fresh, 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 fresh blood into the, the divisions because a lot of times we start getting these recycle fights and it takes away from the interest, and it takes away from the variety in the division. I don't know that either one of these guys are guys who are going to have standout careers. I think I think that more along the lines who guys who have the potential to be maybe top fifteen ish, top twelve, top thirteen ish right now. But um, I'm interested in seeing them develop. And once again, I, I hope the UFC, whoever wins this, I hope they have a. Regardless of who wins, I hope the UFC has a better sense of how they're going to move young guys along in their career and stop trying to take the short money and i at least hope if they're not going to do it i hope their management teams stick up for them and start teaching these guys how to be professionals both of these guys have potential they're experienced they're young they're tough but once again they haven't fought at this level yet and at least they're fighting someone comparable experience comparable skill sets comparable athleticism my my only question is what happens in the next fight do they take push them too far that that's that's always my discussion when i see prospects are they going to treat them like prospects and develop them like prospects are they going to treat them like seasoned veterans and throw them in with the wolves and then ruin two more fighters or three more fighters like they they've been doing in the past couple years now they have that espn deal they don't really have any reason to treat fighters appropriately and that's just going to that's going to affect the quality of fighter and the length of careers fighters have True, I can agree with you that on, on that information there. Last fight I wanted to talk to you about was the women's fight, um, Whitmore versus Rebus. Are you familiar with either of these two women? I'm familiar with Whitmore from the uh, from the, the show. I don't know a ton about Rebus. I think I've seen her fight once, uh, like a year, maybe a couple years ago. Um, I, I've been kind of slipping on my on my prospects. Um, you're breaking up there, Sean. This is a fight that's really just a fight to see who goes and moves to the next stage. The thing about these, the, the thing about these divisions is they're so thin that it's really easy to move up. You don't have to put you don't have to put too many wins together to be considered a contender because the division hasn't settled. You don't have a clear pecking order, which means you put two or three wins together, you might be up for a title shot. You saw what Jessica I did with the weakest resume the weakest fight resume in UFC history almost, she got a title shot off that. And she was beating, beating a bunch of girls who aren't even in the UFC anymore, for the most part. Um, Whitmore, 
she's got a kind of charm and a charisma. I think the UFC would like Whitmore to win. I think they believe that she she has something that can make her into a star. I don't know that she has the athleticism, and I I definitely don't know if she has the finishing ability to surpass even average talent opposition. Uh, if I recall correctly, they're giving her Rivas because they feel that there's there's things she can exploit as far as the grappling and the wrestling. I think they feel she can out athlete her. I think they feel that she's got a little bit more seasoning and can finish her. But what I've seen of Whitmore, I don't I, I don't have any reason to believe that. I don't think she's particularly durable. Um, while she can be physical and fight at a high pace, I don't think she's particularly disciplined. And um, I, I really haven't seen a high level of, of cage IQ for her. So I really, I'm, I'm not as high on her as other people are. I think she's going to be similar to the Angela Hilding, where she's got a great personality. She has an angle. I just don't know that she's ever going to be able to put two or three wins together to put herself in a position where she could be considered a contender, even a fringe contender, or a potential star in the, in the organization. There's a good chance in another year that Whitmore is not even with the UFC, in my opinion. Interesting thoughts, man. Interesting thoughts on on that one, especially with her not being in the organization any longer. Uh, what else do you see on this card? Is there anything that jumps out to you that you would like to talk about? Uh, not really. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of good fights, but I don't know that there are a lot of fights that change the direction of the of divisions right now, except for the except for uh, of course the Nganu fight and the um, and the Maya fight, but uh, no, there's not a lot. There's not a lot on the card. Like I said, I'll, I'll watch it, but I'm. It's not one I'm particularly invested in because there's not a lot of fights that are going to impact rankings, or in my opinion, as I've seen the fighters right now, determine another star or potential star. True, true. So let everybody know what you're working on then for this week. Uh, just doing research on articles because I I got to watch film so I can be real precise because I've learned it, and I'm sure you're you've experienced this when you write an article. People who don't like you will go through and pick everything apart so they can say, hey, you this wrong. <laughs> so decision. They'd be by unanimous decision. I thought you were a professional writer. Okay. I said so I, I'm just trying to make a lot of mistake free stuff. Um trying to get all my facts right because I don't want anybody tweeting me or DM me about the two mistakes I made as far as how a fight was won or when this fight occurred. It, it's just frustrating and annoying. I like writing for the fans, but uh, some of these guys are just, they're just ridiculous, and I, I don't need the stress. It's definitely, it's definitely interesting there. I'm always doing the same type of content I do just about every other week between professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, and everything in between. Um, uh, Shawan, let them know where you, let everyone know where they can find our content before we close out. Uh, you can find us on FM Player, YouTube, um, iTunes, and SoundCloud generally is where you will find us. And of course, you'll see us on uh, Twitter chopping up about mixed martial arts and any uh, po- popular topic that hits the timeline. We can we can discuss. We're like Renaissance men. We can discuss a wide array of topics. That that's what me and Raphael are on. We're on another. We're trying to bring you up to the level we're at. Very true, there, sir. Very true. Oh wait, so before, we go, before we go, before we go, before we go, remember What's who got? called Lovato over Musasi? I think we remember. Oh that. yes, 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 yes. My fault. I wanted to make sure. I give you your time to gloat. So go ahead, sir. I'm going to give the floor to you. Yeah, I, I hate to be this guy, but I mean, first there's Joshua Ruiz. I called that fight exactly how it's going. I said mid late mid round stoppage. That happened. I, I, I just I just don't know when y'all are gonna stop doubting me. I keep telling you what's gonna happen. I keep begging y'all to listen to the show so you can be ahead of other people, but y'all don't do it. And then I gotta come on Twitter and gloat and brag and brag and gloat about everything I told y'all was gonna happen before it happened. 
Cejudo over Dillashaw, Cejudo over Johnson, Cejudo over Marlon Marais. Like, we keep telling you this. Rose over Joanna, who told you that was going to happen? Andrade over Rose, who told you that was going to happen? The MMA rating show, and we did it again. Lovato Jr. beats Musasi the way I said he was going to beat him. But nobody believed us because Musasi's a veteran. He's multiple-time champion. He's fought everybody. Yeah, I know that. But you don't watch film like I do. And that's why you got that wrong. And just on a finishing note, last day, last show we had, Rafael told me, he goes, do you think Moicano's a potential title challenger? I didn't even entertain the question. I just said no. And then we watched that fight, and uh, the Korean zombie clearly showed that I know what I'm talking about because he is not a title challenger, getting knocked out in the first round, throwing a sloppy jab and getting countered and blown out by a guy who, who hasn't been active in, what, six to eight months? Maybe a year, possibly? As I said, listen to the show, place your bets, make the money, brag to your friends about all the knowledge. I won't even take credit for the knowledge. I'll let you act like you're the smartest mixed martial arts fan around. All you got to do is support the show, and then you can be smarter than everybody else, and you can be like me, bragging and stunning and flexing on everybody on Twitter who didn't believe what was going to happen when I said it was going to happen. Just get ahead of the curve, listen to the show, and we'll all be good. We'll all be good. It's pretty interesting, man. When, when, when you get them right, you let the world know. I can appreciate that. I, I always tell them. The first thing I always say on Twitter, if you listen to the MMA Ratings podcast, you would have you known this was going to happen. You wouldn't have been shocked. Every time we have an upset, you listen to the show, you would know that. All you got to do is listen to the show. I'll tell you what's going to happen. All you got to do is listen. I'm trying to help you out. We're trying to help people. Like Jerry Maguire said, let me help you. Help me help you. That's what hmm. we're trying to do. That is what he said, sir. That is what he said. So we're going to go ahead and close out, man. Um, I thank you again for being on the show this week. And let's go ahead and shut things down. Uh, everyone have a great week. And we'll be back uh, next. Well, we may not be back next Thursday because I will be in New York celebrating the 4th of July. Uh, Shawana, are you doing anything for that for other holiday? Dude, I will probably be on the road heading to Dallas, getting ready to spend three weeks, seeing if all this practicing and training we did paid off against the best talent we played this summer. So I'll be having fun regardless. I'll be hanging with the family. But uh, it's going to be going to be a business atmosphere this this 4th of July for us. True. Just don't let Desmond Green, Green drive while you're at it. Man, if I even hear that dude's in the same state as me, I'm getting off the road. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and close out. Everyone have a great day and enjoy the rest of your week. Um, it's Friday tomorrow, so find some way to have fun, but be safe at the same time. Have a great night, everyone. Uh, good night, guys.